Sorry, guys. That's all right. That's all right. So this is uh, Anarchy Ball episode two with our special guest, Jack V. Lloyd, the author of Voluntarious Comics and the uh, host of Actual Anarchy Podcast. Welcome. Hey, hey, what's up? I, yeah, like I literally just set up this new studio thing, so I'm sorry. I still haven't done my testing of all this uh, stuff, so uh, glad right. to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here. Uh, so you've uh, you've recently come out with another origin story. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> Voluntarist Origins 3. And it's continuing the story of, you know, gosh, it's now I was just looking today. It's been since 2012. I've been doing this. So it's been eight years now. Um, but it's it's the story from the beginning you know you could say the chronology and it's just been continuing that uh, for the past few years you know starting the beginning in the past i did some future verse prototypes and things like that um but now it's uh talking about what the protagonist is doing and you know how he's interacting with the state as you know the government's trying to come after him so i always found uh there was always an anarchistic element to any sort of superhero story, you know, because the government is always the one involved in trying to stop the superheroes from merely existing simply because of the fact that they challenge the power monopoly of the state. There's always that sort of element undertone. Right. Yeah. I definitely agree that certainly in terms of power struggles, you know, superheroes pose a challenge to the governments that have, power based on mass psychology and controlling how people you know obey them so i definitely agree with that for sure that there's a huge trend of uh superheroes in some ways challenging uh the power of governments uh, just unfortunately i'd say in most comic stories they end up becoming uh, i guess because they apologists for the government or working alongside the government well there's always like that weak kind of uh well, we've got to do what we've got to do, so we've got to work with the government in this situation. And, you know, you see that in almost every power struggle between superheroes and the government, right? There's no, like, no, you guys have had your time. You're done. There's never there's never that moment in most comics, you know? It's always the weak argument for why we need a state. Well, most people believe in it, so we've got to go along with it, even though these people are corrupt as hell and they've been coming after me and trying to kill me and take my stuff. Right, yeah, I'd say most superhero stories uh, either end up expressly or tacitly endorsing the government, especially, you know, Superman was hugely used for propaganda for the war in World War II and uh, World War I, um, you know, so, you know, DC Comics definitely, and, and Disney too, of course, in, in terms of uh, their content was very big proponents for the government and apologists and propagandists, so unfortunately, a lot of comic book stories um you know end up just promoting government agenda items in the end you know or, or saying oh if there's a bad apple it's just a bad apple but the government's always good in the end right right i think uh you know having a voluntary as comic sort of flips that on its head it's like well there's no more weak excuses we're done with this <laughs> i think it's sort yeah. of a callback to the uh the ancient sort of uh mythology that you know they based the original comics around 
You know, I mean, where do you find the government in things like uh, Hercules? You know, usually it's he's fighting against an enemy state or whatnot, but there's very little, you know, I have to subject myself to the powers that be. It's more like, well, I have to complete these tasks. I don't need to worry about these sort of things. Yeah, I mean, I would say that definitely it's like a different, uh, I guess you could say, tone to it with uh, Hercules or other kinds of uh, ancient mythologies. But yeah, I mean, I uh, I definitely agree. Although I'm very, I'm a few glasses deep here on on the uh, on the wine, I mean, ice cream. So you know, whatever. you. I know I've been silent, but if I had some, uh, I was I was thinking I needed a couple a couple glasses of wine uh, tonight. I have a crazy day, dude. I'm just, you know, busy hustling out here. And then I like got your message. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, okay, right, right. <laughs> Gotta do that. So um I'm glad to be here. <laughs> well, it's good. I'm I'm glad to see uh I think you know, ANCAPs uh have gotten into the comics game a lot more recently. I think uh, you see uh, what's his name, uh, the front man for uh, the the band. Uh, Eric July. He's doing. Com- what's that? Are you saying Eric July and backwards? Eric July, yeah. Eric July's gotten into uh, doing comics reviews lately. He's gotten really into the whole comics gate thing and breaking down the uh, leftist agendas that they're pumping into all these comics. Yeah, no, he's a big comics fan for sure. I think uh, I, I spent a lot of my youth reading through Spider-Man and and I didn't really get into uh, DC too much, but it was it was Spider-Man and the X-Men. That was my thing back then. Nice. I always loved, uh, you know, Wolverine until they started making movies about him. <laughs> Every it, movie about him. <laughs> were you into like playing any of the games or anything like that, like Marvel v. Capcom? Oh yeah, yeah, the uh, arcade games. Yeah, um, I used to collect comic cards a lot. This was back before you know Magic the Gathering basically. Oh yeah, turned every collectible card game into a uh, a card game. You know, so absolutely. I thought, uh, you know, having having all that artistic uh, expression in, in card games is is really sort of like an addition to the storyline, sort of like a, a role play example. And right. I don't know if they do that. I mean, and most of the card games have moved from physical cards onto like apps. So I'm sure they've got a ton of like Marvel card game apps, just like they've got the uh, Magic the Gathering apps. But yeah. it's, only, it's it's much more addictive when you've got a physical object in your hand and you can play with those. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, having the physical cards and the collectability of those things is a big deal. But with everything changing so rapidly, you know, in terms of people being shut down at home and, you know, electronics technology, like so many people are switching how they play their games and this or that. And, you know, what's acceptable for collectible, you know, some people like collecting digital items now. But I think there's, like again, like still, as you said, a, a kind of special mm, kind of nostalgia with physical things that you can have or collectibles and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the value of comics is only going to go up. You know, I don't think uh, a lot of these uh, comics publishers are going to be doing it too much longer. Just the way that their sales have been slumping. 
Oh well, yeah, I mean most comic stuff's garbage to begin with already. Like because a lot of as you know, as you mentioned, like Eric Jolly's covering stuff like that. But I've been watching this for years. They're all just pandering to like SJW stuff, and it's just garbage stuff. It's like nobody wants to read the exact same story, but now oh wow, it's a one-legged fat Muslim chick. Like nobody gives a fuck. So you know what I mean? Like <laughs> seriously, like you know, you know what I mean? Like there's nothing innovative about that just by you know swapping out. Um, of course, you know, you could say like, oh, you know, you might be appealing to certain demographics uh, about, you know, whatever it is, race or sex or this or that. But in the end, if you don't have good writing, you know, if you don't have an engaging story that makes you say, "Ooh, what's the next mystery that's going to be unveiled? It doesn't matter. Like you can do all the pandering all day you want and it's just garbage writing at the end of the day. And by and large, I think a lot of people who are into comics and things like that, you know, have seen that and recognize that the writing is weak. You know, it's that's not exciting. It. That's a, that's a, a a trend that that I see in uh, a lot of art form a lot of arts forms that tell a story where yeah regardless of what what's what what story they're telling they 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 focus on is the is the um is the SJW concept in this going to get me enough people caring to watch it that I'll get enough views to make money off of it rather than can we tell the story that we're trying to tell in a way that actually tells a, a good story, like you're saying, goes in and focuses on the story, or are we just going to get people uh, paying attention because it has some hot point topic? Yeah, it's it's more about identity uh, baiting, right? And I, I think it really doesn't have a lot to do with sales. Uh, if you look at how they, they do sales in comic world, it's just, it's all about the subscriptions that, uh, you know, book companies have, you know, so you've got okay. a, a book bookshop right and they've got a subscription to the comic so it it's always coming to that uh location but nobody's buying them off of the shelf so they just sit there and yeah. so eventually those booksellers are just going to be like well you know these these things are slumping we're not we're not moving any of them so we might as well just uh you know cancel our subscriptions and that's been happening a lot in the comic world hmm. i'm not uh very versed on the uh on comic books or the uh, market. Well, I think I think the golden age of comic books in my lifetime was when authors decided that doing graphic novels was a thing that they wanted to get into. So you've got a lot of the Sandman stuff. You've got a lot of uh, the guy who did um, V for Vendetta and uh, Watchmen, right? And those, I mean, in that era, it was like, it was so new and so different, but it still drew from so many of the same themes that people really got into it. And just now it seems like the exact opposite has happened. Instead of attracting people with the best writing talent, they're attracting people who appeal to identity demographics. And it's, uh, I mean, even the artists, like if you watch the artists Twitter, they just go absolutely insane for all of these, uh, social pantomimes, you know, all of the uh, social pageantry uh, around identity. They just love it. They eat it up and they, they attack anybody who doesn't. Mm -hmm. I think that really, that really, that social pageantry idea, it's really taken root in the left. And uh, you see it start to happen more and more on the right too. They're, they're getting into the, the pageantry of 
having identities on display as your sales pitch. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just not working. Nobody's buying it. You know, you, you have to have something people can get excited for. And if all you're doing is saying, look, we've got a black guy. Look, we've got a, a, a one-legged Muslim. Or I think what was the one, that, the stretchy girl that, that oh, I forget her name, but there's this one comic all about this, this uh, woman with stretchy powers. Who's a Muslim. It's a Marvel title. And uh, it's just the most god awful writing you've ever seen. Like she, she's literally out there bullying people because of their race and gender identity. Like it's okay because it's a white guy. And it's like, wait a second, how can you both be the hero and clearly a villain in the way you treat people, <laughs> and yet you're somehow supposed to be celebrated because of your identity? Doesn't make a lot of right. sense. But I mean, that trend is just taking over more and more. I think uh, it's it's kind of um, I wanted to get to the topic of spirituality, and I think this is a good segue. In ancient Rome, they were able to control the population with the idea of death and circuit, but it's a lot it's a lot more deep than that, right? Everything was based around uh, certain events in the calendar, and those calendar events would cause people to act act out these scenes of, of pageantry from mythology, right? So they would have a god for every occasion and a cult for every god. So you've got these political cults who are going out in the street pantomiming this behavior. And you see that a lot with uh, Antifa now, right? They're not exactly sure what they want to achieve, but they go out in the streets and burn things and kick people in the face for no other reason other than they're playing out their political cult. And that's sort of the comic booky idea of like the villain and the hero and all these other attributes. And there's not really a whole lot of individuality going on, but there's definitely a show being played out in the streets. And not a lot of people are buying it. I mean, you know, if you compare well, that. I mean, honestly, I, I, I wonder though, because the, the 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 show that was uh, the that you're saying was played out in the streets, it did start getting a lot of traction, and I think that is one of the times that I started to see a movement stand up and start to at least make the government say, "Oh, you know, it's happening." Yeah, but uh, underlying their um, actions, the principles that they hold is is like they want more free stuff. So they're not really like a, a threat to the government other than the fact that, you know, they're, they're burning a government building. But they're more than happy to tax the rich. They attack uh, large corporations like Amazon, you know, because of the fact that they don't like people having money. And they would rather see the government tax that money away than you know, seeing Jeff Bezos with a hundred billion dollars, you know, and that sort of underlying principle of, well, you know, we're attacking this company more or less so that he will give his money to the government and to his employees and, and whatnot. It's not really any threat to the government in the long run, but it is a great social pantomime. Like uh, burning a, a courthouse is, you know, great for optics. It shows you mean business. But what are you getting out of it? Like, what are you going to replace this stuff with? And you, you see that with the defund the police, too. It's not like they have any sort of a plan other than let's stop this and then something else will take its place, maybe. 
Oh, it's a little low. Okay. What do you okay. think, Jack? Do you see a bunch of uh, pantomiming going on, or is it, is is there something more serious? Um, there could be pantomiming. Um, but I don't even know, man. I'm like so lit right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need to catch up with you, man. You are where I need to be. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. Just fuck the SJWs. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> What did I? What did I just walk in? <laughs> oh, look, Fuzz on the track Maybe. now. Can yeah. You hear? What did I walk into? I did walk over here. That's true. Hello. Do you hear the philosopher? Oh yeah. Hey, philosopher. Yeah, she just Hello, she just jumps in the room. So whatever. Okay. Uh, how do you like the new studio he's got set up? Oh, I love it. It's so much better. I'm just yeah. happy to have a permanent studio now. Nice. So you're gonna yeah. be making a lot of videos? Um, not yet, but yes. Want, that's just the plan. Just kind of, you know, getting settled in. Moving can be a b, like a b word. A bitch, right? We can say that, right? Because I've already yeah, said a lot of that. Yeah. The first word I heard out of your mouth before you could hear us was "fuck." I think that was. <laughs> <laughs> fuck them. Oh. Fuck, 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 fuck. Go ahead. Oh. That sets the tone right there. Yeah, yeah, that does set the tone. <laughs> yeah, Real. I'm so tired of SJWs <laughs> and CJWs. Don't get me wrong; like I hate them both. But if you're tired like, of them, why would you fuck them in the pussy? Well, I'm not gonna it. literally fuck them oh, in the pussy. Okay, okay. I'm going know. to proverbially fuck them in the pussy. Hmm. It's a big difference. Still right. The outcome. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> the outcome will be the same. <laughs> so well, back social pantomime idea in ancient Rome, they had feasts where. Uh, the adherents of this god would get really drunk and really, really out of control, and they would take smash shards of pottery and actually castrate themselves and throw their testicles through a window. And whoever caught the, the testicles would have to take care of this person for the next year so that he could become an adherent to the god. And I'm seeing a bunch of uh, transgender you know, gender-bending stuff going on now. And I can't help but think they're lifting that kind of idea up because there's a there's an aspect of social control going on there. Well, I, don't, you know, I, don't, I mean, if you cut off my terrible. balls, I hope you would take care of me for a year, you know? That's just... No, no, they cut off my balls. But, well, was, if I cut off my balls, I mean, you know, whatever, just someone help. That's all I, you know, just someone's going to have to take care of those balls. It's It's not easy. Nope. My only and this is, this, is, this is this is I cut off my balls and I throw them into your house and you yes. then take care of me for a year. That's nuts. That's, right. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> That's very much nuts. Yes. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where it's That's like what I do it's not I every day, right? Balls. You're like, oh look, there's balls in my house. How did those get there? I don't know. But the first the thing, thing you is, say is, oh, I got to take care of somebody for a year. <laughs> Jacket fun makes Honestly, so at this jokes. point, it's 2020. Maybe I will throw my balls into someone's window and hope they take care of me. Or at least, you know, just don't call the cops to me right away. But either way, yeah, I mean, you could analogize that to being like, oh, okay, people who want to forcibly castrate themselves want to have the welfare system actually pay for their, you know, gender reassignment surgery, which, of course, that is unethical because it's state force and theft. I don't care if somebody wants to chop off their dick and balls for their own pleasure. I mean, if that's your thing, great. Enjoy, you know, being wienerless. 
Um, that's not for me though. So you know, it's but it, when it comes to the How government. Does this topic come up? <laughs> Is there, is there a trans He's talking people about ancient, ancient times and ancient peoples cutting off their wieners and ball. Well, I mean, uh, maybe not the wiener part, but the balls at least, at least the balls. And they do throw them into windows. Oh, as an offering to the gods. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. You know, honestly, I think what we see now, though, most people uh, who are trans in America, it really is a, a identity confusion issue. Um, we could get into... <laughs> Where we well, theorize transgender comes from, but I've I think, heard I think the disorder. It's 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 always been present in society, but I think the the cult of state is taking advantage of it, right? So you've got these different angles that are playing to these these ideas because there's a a, a strong sense of uh, of use there, right? So if if you've got a cult of state that wants to have a, a means of you know using a certain group of people as a weapon against others they're going to go for you know the smaller groups the people who have classically been bullied and and you know amp up all of the facts and statistics and use that as a way of saying everybody else has to be on board with this and once you've got that initiation then it it, it rolls downhill into other things you can use it for you know initiating the the uh, the rest of society into doing something else for you, you know. Once you've got the once you've got the foot in the door, then you're all the way through. Once you've got your nuts through somebody's window, or the balls out the window, right? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's interesting to me. Like my biggest concern, I guess, in you know, tangent of what you're saying is just that people are being told that this should be pushed on to children. You know I mean it's one thing uh, for someone who would, for whatever reason feels or thinks that they're different uh gender or sex or whatever i don't personally care it's not my business but when they're trying to get young children to actively focus on these things and make sexuality a core a core point of their um identity existence i have a problem because because that's you know essentially sexualizing children is saying hey kids you should be thinking about where your penis should go or where you want to stick things and this or that and to me, that's just predation by adults against children, uh, because it is adults who are trying to get young children to to um, think about how they would like to be engaged sexually. And, and people, I think, uh, in this realm, try to color it under the guise of uh, genderism, um, where they say, well, it's just your expression. It's like, yeah, no, if it was just your expression, nobody would give a fuck, right? Like, nobody gives a fuck whether you want to wear a shirt or a dress or that, this or that, in terms of, you know, it's, it's something that's it's passable. It's not permanent. When people are saying, oh, you need to have permanent changes and give kids hormones and they need to, you know, cut off their ding dongs. We're talking about something that's it's a whole different literal ball game. Of, it's a uh, actual- game. It's, it's a- Jack, who, who, who though is uh, uh, proposing that for children? Who's proposing well, that? Like- the ding dong changing or the. the yeah. Well, you oh. got a lot of psychologists who are Where encouraging. <laughs> yeah, you got, the the field of psychology is is very right. interested right now in in having uh, kids go in and getting uh, you know specific messages from uh, psychotherapists to try and you know encourage them one direction or another. But I think it's a lot of uh, of the fact that you know they want society to be the parent, they want other voices to parent the children more so than the actual parents. So like if the actual parents are like, well, look, 
my kid's exploring something right now. And I, I, I think that they should see where it goes. They might not, not feel the same way in a couple of years, or they might, you know, feel the same way in a couple of years. I'm going to give them time to explore that before we can do anything drastic. Right. But in, in terms of like, the psychologists, yeah. in, in terms of psychologists, they'd be like, well, you are depriving your children of what they truly desire. You need to get them on hormones right away. And that, that kind of idea is, you know, they, they've CPS kids over this, right. And like, that's, corporations. Uh, that's, that's, that's disappointing to hear. I don't, uh, I haven't heard any, uh, I haven't heard that, but that is really uncomfortable because that does not seem like a logical way to approach it from a healthcare point of view. No, from from a healthcare point of view, I think you know they've got the exact wrong messaging, right? But you know, it's not everywhere. It's mostly in the in the deepest blue states like California and you know up in. Uh, Massachusetts and things like that. But what they would like to have happen is to change the DSM-4 to say that when you have these feelings, you should be on hormones, right? So when children are exposed to these ideas, instead of letting them figure it out, we get them on hormones, get them onto, you know, a path that's not easily reversed or, or not reversible. And then later on in life, they may might regret these decisions that they made as children, as you know, most people who were children do have something they regret because they're learning about life. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the real drawback there is you've got these people who, you know, we're used to thinking about um, the state as being an evil entity, but we're not used to thinking that, you know, there could be a lot of vested interests in the field of psychology who might want to see a lot more kids on hormones or hormone blockers because of the fact that they can make a lot of money off of it. That, that as far as the, uh, the MO of the pharmaceutical com uh, industry, yeah, I've been pretty disappointed uh, with them, especially in the way they act towards children. However, I do think that the issue that you're talking about is a bit more complex than this. Uh, in in the mindset of the children, for, for, for one, in the, the, the where influence may be coming from, I don't think it's, it's so strictly psychiatrists. I do see in a lot of the things that were talked about earlier, how uh, with, with media and art forms and, and, and movies and stuff, you see stuff going in that at, at the same time as trying to destroy gender roles in society has been somewhat of the stated goal of the SJWs that have been so venom venomously talked about in this uh, this uh, podcast. Don't get me wrong. I've, I've definitely run into well, the... the uh, a lot of that is the frustration, and 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 it's driven me crazy seeing some of the black and white mindset and how it is so counterproductive. But I think one of those things, that black and white mindset, that is so counterproductive, that has frustrated the three of us regarding the way SJWs seek to have influence to better the world. That is really what I think they're trying to do. But I think that some of it is so black and white that it perpetuates things like. 
well, when trying to destroy gender roles, we're now making it look like if you feel any of these gender roles, then it just means that you're not in the right body. I, fuck, if you were to look at uh, me from the the point of view of of what a lot of people call trans, I would I would definitely not argue with anyone who said that I'm a lot I. I might have more feminine than masculine, but I have no qualms personally with who I am. I don't have any any understanding of what it's like to be in the brain of someone who is saying, I really feel like I'm in the bot the wrong body. I've talked to a lot of people who have. I've talked to a lot of people who have said, I really don't think that you're in your your you're processing this fully. And I've seen people who I said, okay. Yeah, that that I'm not. Yeah, I think what you're saying is it's it's easy to be reductionist on these sort of things, and I think that's one of the goals too. I mean, if you can if you can make everybody for or against some something just by saying it, you can have an influence on how they view the rest of their lives. You know, if you can if you can draw a line in the sand and put people on either side of it, then you've automatically got a good guy and a bad guy. Right. And instead of looking at it from the perspective of black and white, we need to say, well, there's, you know, thousands of shades here, but we know, you know, who would rather have it to be a black and white issue. And those are the people we need to have the most suspicion of is if you're trying to make it a black and white issue, we've got a problem. And I understand that I have always been someone who says that what kills us in our ability to progress as a society is by reducing everything to black and white issues. I, I, I It baffles my mind why our society feels desi- the desire to drop everything to a digital, a black and white uh, issue, but uh, I suppose it makes it very programmable. Yep. I mean, you get those cults of state right off the bat. Once you've got once you've got people drawing battle lines, then you've got major uh, uh, manipulation potential. Yeah, I, I think you would. You would. I'm sorry, Jack. Were you, did you just start to speak? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I was just gonna say that, like, when it comes to this kind of issue, as you're saying, it can be very difficult because you know you're navigating the waters of being empathetic to people who you know, say that they genuinely feel um, or think they were, you know, in a different body, but you're also recognizing the harms that can happen by pushing this, you know, forcefully onto children. And to me, I, what I've seen as a pattern when it comes to uh, transgenderism is that from what I've seen, it is the most often correlated rejection of the father in terms of, you know, not having paternal love and support but then also an emotional denialhood of the mother. So in other words, when someone is attempting to be transgender, very often it, as opposed to just, you know, gay, um, it is often itself a permanent statement because you can't um, turn away from someone who has transformed their outer look. It is a statement of permanence. In other words, it's, it's constantly visible. So it can't be denied in terms of the reality it's ever present. And, from what I've seen, this has been a common trope that those who were emotionally abused in that way by having their needs not met by both fathers and emotional denial of needs, that is dismissal of uh, emotional needs from mothers, um, 
go off and have this uh, result. That is, they will, um, you know, turn to that type of, uh, uh, you know, outwardly appearance because it is something that cannot be dismissed. You know, when you are fully transformed in that way, it's not something that can be denied by both father and mother at the same time where that emotional denial of needs uh, was before present where someone was, you know, invalidated in their uh, feelings and thoughts. Um, that's for me what I have seen as the most common trope that leads to that, that differentiates between, you know, just being gay or lesbian and versus trans is both a uh, paternal and maternal uh, rejection and denial of emotional needs um, being met. And, uh, you know, to me, that is itself, you know, something that should be looked at, uh, you know, quite a bit. That is uh, what led up to that point um, of wanting to express oneself in that way. And there's been a lot of people who have, uh, you know, reverted from, you know, transing and stuff like that uh, over time. Uh, they have, you know, at first, you know, changed that with appearance and they went back. It didn't mean they necessarily changed sexual orientation or anything like that, but they, they, you know, changed from how they're doing their outward appearance. And I think that it's important for people to uh, consider how those things especially change over time for young children, especially going through puberty um, and doing anything that's permanent or permanently disfiguring um, is just, you know, downright harmful and dangerous um, and something that should not be looked at as something that's a good thing to do, uh, you know, for young people who are still figuring out exactly what it is that they want to express themselves as, you know, no matter what way you cut it. Well, that could go into body modification too. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm like for circumcision and forced body piercing and stuff like that too. I, I think generally the way we act towards our children, we try, we start that cascade of interaction or intervention way too early. Is that uh, did I use the right term there? Cascade yeah, I intervention. think. I think that's the right term because uh, you, you got the psychiatrists, you've got the uh, the public school uh, teachers, you've got the therapists in the schools, and then you've got you know a series of people saying, "Well, it's okay to do this, it's okay to do this," and then at home you don't have that emotional connection or emotional, uh, I guess, acceptance, and you know it starts starts that uh, that ball rolling down the hill, you know. And a lot of this cascade of intervention that we are putting upon our our children in so many aspects, in all of these aspects of their of of their their life, their education, their health, their mental health, uh, we we start this cascade of interaction because, in some sense, we have a society. In not some sense, we of us we as a society have become very lazy with 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 raising children we've uh we've we've started relying on that cascade of intervention that if our child's not focusing you know we've got just any number of things that could be normal child behavior could be not normal child behavior we've got something that we can throw at it we've got yeah. something that we start doing See, typically we're going to have something that we start doing long before anything could even really need to be done. And we're just creating those more and more things that need to be done. Whereas from this specific 
uh, topic um, that you've been talking about with with uh, transgender individuals, you've discussed a neglect from the parents. When we've got that neglect that perpetuates taking intervention so that whatever this this that we have seen as a pro as a problem that's come from the, the neglect. Oh, sorry, I lost track of that sentence there. <laughs> that's okay. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about, a little bit about a uh, libertarian uh, culture. I think uh, I was going to bring up the the topic of what spirituality is and why it's really not present in in libertarian culture in any overt sort of way. I think a lot of uh, people get uh, hooked into the spiritual angle of, um, of of religions and new age movements, but they don't exactly understand how any of that relates to their everyday life, other than the fact that you know some people are in a contest to see who's the most spiritual with the most candles and whatnot. <laughs> For instance, uh, uh, we were talking earlier about um, the the rhetorical triangle. And when you're, when you're talking in ANCAP or libertarian circles, they've got this uh, idea that they always have to be right and that their logic has to supersede everyone else's logic. And the logos is a, is a aspect or an expression of spirituality. Uh, people like to, to draw the line between spirituality and logos or logic, but I really don't think it exists. I think that there is a certain drive and a certain passion that goes into uh, the way people feel about, you know, their logical chains of evidence that is present very much in uh, ANCAP circles that they're always arguing with each other. But at the end, they always remain spiritually bankrupt because they're not backing those uh, arguments up with any sort of action, right? I see it all the time. People get into these huge arguments for days, days on end online. Nothing comes of it. Nobody gets anything out of it other than the anger, right? The logos turns into emotion or, uh, or uh, pathos. And then essentially everybody backs into the corner of their ethos or whatever position they had to begin with. And I think that not understanding that these, uh, these tools that we have at our disposal can actually bring about a more libertarian society instead of these small debates is something that we're lacking. Everybody wants to debate. Nobody wants to do anything about it. This is spirituality that you're talking about? Yeah. I don't know. D did you not have your stones and your uh, your candles lit? <laughs> I don't even know. You need to get out the instance. I'm not a spiritual <laughs> person, so I'm a very much... Well, uh, Let me... rational empiricist who only subscribes to that which is uh, held in reciprocity based on expected standards. Um, so you know, I mean, like, if if you wouldn't just if I said, "Hey, God told me to tell you to jump off a bridge," you wouldn't believe that just because I said I'm spiritual, right? You would actually expect reason and evidence in order to make a decision based on empiricism, and so that performative contradiction would be what I would always hold somebody to. Right. Well, I think you're, you're, you're talking about spirituality in the sense of a, a religious construct. 
<laughs> uh, spirituality is is an expression of a religious construct, but it's not strictly limited to it. For example, the alchemists considered the body, soul, and spirit to be different aspects of what motivates a person to move forward. And if you were to uh, apply that to rhetoric, you've got the body, which would be the uh, ethos or the position the person's in. You've got the pathos, which would be the the soul. That's what that's a, a motivating factor in how you make your arguments. And then the spirit, which would be the the logos, which would be the the um, the idea that you have the ability to separate truth from fiction and and discover chains of evidence to bring you to a certain goal. So they're not necessarily in in contradiction to each other it's it's a matter of motivation right i've never heard that definition before of associating logos which is logic and rational thinking with spirituality as a term that's completely new to me never well uh it's a matter of motivation right uh if you look at uh people who are not motivated to use their critical thinking capacity it's it's a matter of not having the uh, fuel to go through the arguments, right? That's the very first thing that comes off is you'll find that people who don't want to think rationally do so out of a sense of laziness. Well, this is just what I've always believed. I've, I've got no reason to believe anything else. And you're not going to change my mind about it because I choose not to think. I don't know. I, I wouldn't it's, think that's laziness because laziness is, is a you know label of intent. Uh, for me, from what I've seen, by and large, people who are in a type of intellectual slumber, they're often because in their life they've had enough traumas of, of things in their life, um, specifically shaming them from going down that path, uh, whether it's parents, teachers, or other people who are supposed to be mentors in their life, uh, basically telling them to not think uh, or to suppress their uh, you know, kind of inquiries or, or curiosities. Uh, by and large, that's been the most common trope that I've seen in terms of people's uh, lack of interest of using r rational thinking is is that they have been shamed uh, to such a large extent that it's been uh, basically put to a state of near extinction. And I think that's especially prevalent in public schools. Would that, be, would that come from the, uh, the ethos, the, the position of authority, you think? I, um, I mean, certainly there's people who use authority as a concept uh, to assert their dominance and power over others because they don't want others to question uh, their desires or statements. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's certainly a uh, human motivation for those who lack philosophy and bigger picture thinking in terms of, you know, looking outside their immediate sense of trying to uh, better themselves, you know, short term, you know, a short term orientation. Um, but yeah, for me, it's, you know, that that's how I would, I would perceive that is that, you know, for most people, it's a trauma induced slumber uh, intellectually that a lot of people do not wish to go down that path because it's, it's unfamiliar and painful because in their life, many people have shamed them for attempting that. Um, and especially as uh, pushed forward in, in many types of uh, public school institutions and relative state institutions, you know, shaming people for questioning those who claim authority or those who claim to have the right to rule. Well, right. But in that way, in that way, you, you're taking the motivation out of it through another another form of argumentation. 
right? Instead of uh, taking it through logically from from point A to point C as to why they shouldn't be asking those questions, instead, it's, well, I'm I'm the authority figure, and you don't get to you don't get to question this, and so then therefore they identify with authority whenever they're using the stop think method. That's how they feel internally authoritative. Right. Well, I don't have to question that because an authority figure told me that. And since I'm an authority figure, I get to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sort of a perpetuation of the same idea. I mean, and, certainly uh, terms- authoritarianism is a, is a theme that runs through human history and is used as a tool for power and control. Absolutely. And of course, it's itself uh, can be used as a trauma inducing, you know, means of treating people. Right. And in the same way, I think a lot of uh, a lot of ANCAPs try to use the logos as their as their authority position, right? They're saying, "I believe this because X, Y, and Z." And if you're not on the same level as me, then that makes me more authoritative than you. Essentially, trying to to replace that with something that they can, you know, logically assert. At least in online arguments, I think a lot of a lot of the posturing goes back to, well, I have the more logical argument, therefore I am more uh, authoritative than you. Mm-hmm. And if if the person's coming at it from a position of, well, I don't have to listen to you because authority told me, then there's really no way for that authoritative argument to ever get through. There has to be another factor to, you know, talk to them rationally. And I, I think a lot of uh, ANCAPs end up getting wrapped up in the idea that you know, the only way towards rationalism is through uh, logos, and we have pathos too. And if you can connect people on a, uh, a more inspirational or uh, emotional level, then they can they can better listen to what you have to say. But that takes a little bit more action. It takes a little bit more, um, <clears throat> I guess, uh, connection. I think a connection would be that that spiritual angle because I think where I keep losing people on the idea of spirituality is the the Christian form of spirituality, which is well, I something. Go ahead. And I don't know that you're necessarily losing people on just the Christian form of spirituality. Uh, and and if I if I may mention the the the, the live stream you had done, sometimes that the, the um, Sometimes the, the, the speaking as a contrast against atheism with the, the passion can drive some, with that passion can drive some people who are not of a spiritual mindset away from hearing what you're trying to say. I personally yeah. think that spirit, looking at these things from a spiritual point of view is important. And if the spiritual point of view can't be or it doesn't need to be a god or or what people think of classically as spirituality if you think of the fact that what you do in the world is how your intent has influence and you know that everything that you intend to do in the world is having some influence in the world that is related negative but I, I think what I, what I was trying to say in that in that interview was was about a very specific group of atheists. I, I was I was not very clear with that. I, I, there's there's a group 
there was a guy who was on one of these uh, atheist libertarian chat or uh, podcasts, and he was lambasted for two hours just because he didn't carry the same beliefs as they did. And I think that sort of idea, it's just, it's it's foreign to me. I don't I don't like it. And I think that a lot of uh, the 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 purely strictly no gods no masters people don't seem to understand that people have a different perspective, and you can't immediately attack them for having a different perspective. And I think that's that's if we want to do what we want to do here. We can't we can't be we can't be attacking each other um, at all. You're right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think- I, like to me, it's just still kind of ambiguous. You know, the use of the word spirituality. I think there's definitely different, you know, common connotations with the use of the word. That I just, I don't know. I just, for me, it just doesn't resonate in a way that the way that you use it makes sense to me. Cause usually when you think about spirituality, you're talking about, you know, either metaphysics or something um, outside the material world. And I get the separate discourse of what you're saying of like reaching out to people who have different preexisting views. And you might want to use emotional appeals to get past walls and not, you know, just pure logic and reason, which I definitely get. Cause you know, obviously, you know, you know, me, I make all kinds of things um, that are more emotionally appealed, but um, yeah, it's something that I think, is still at the end of the day very important to address that concept of what does it mean to be spiritual really? What does it mean to have, you know, faith in something of that nature? Uh, Because that does of course affect the rest of one's worldview when it comes to thinking about the nature of people and property rights. And if you have a view where you weren't reasoned into it in the first place as relates to, you know, being a faith in something or something that's not really actually like, provable, repeatable, and you know, empirical sense, it can be very difficult because someone could then rely on that to either make exceptions to the non-aggression principle or rely on that to, you know, excuse different types of, you know, physically violent or proper, you know, private rights oriented violent behavior. And for me, you know, that's something that, you know, comes with the territory. Some people are going to still, of course, cling on to, or want to, you know, for tradition's sake, stick with whatever they were familiar with, you know, tr- traditionally with their religion or spirituality. But uh, to me, at the end of the day, you know, it's something that um, is technically always going to be a weak point uh, because, you know, that could always be used or exploited to make exceptions to the non-aggression principle concept or, you know, non-initiation of force. Right. I I think I I see where you're going with that. And I think a lot of people uh, would accept the idea that uh, if if there's words on paper somewhere and those words on paper give legitimacy to a group of people who claim something, that they could, you know, claim that no matter what the circumstances, whether or not it's right or wrong. And I think uh, if, if, if we look at the perspective of the state as a as a coven and like the Constitution and laws as spells, I think it becomes a little bit more clear instead of a lot more opaque because these people, the, the nature of the coven never changes from who gets elected and who doesn't in these rituals, right? The nature stays the same, but the, uh, the figures who, who are integrated or initiated into this, this coven have to then create spells to order society. Now, again, nobody really has to follow the spells. Nobody, 
none of the other coven members or the friends of the coven members usually end up following the spells that they put out. But the spells they put out somehow order the universe in such a way that allows the coven to keep uh, sanity intact for everybody. And when you when you when you look at it from that perspective, I think you get a lot more clear pos position because yes, it is a religion, but what's specifically going on? And when you can use the spirituality to break down what's going on in terms of well, you know these these words on paper aren't really doing what they claim it does, but we still need them to do it for some reason. There's a magical construct there that I think is almost completely unexamined. And I don't disagree. I don't disagree with you. I I um I understand where Jack is coming from, and and it is um it is one of the things spirituality, religion, anything that has to do with what we are not able to physically observe can be manipulated to cause people to act inappropriately. And I think that's a constant, though. I think that is a constant. There are many things that can cause... Anything can be used to manipulate people to act in a certain way. There, there, there are many things. Um, as far as you're talking about the... The, the state as acting as a coven uh, from the point of view of what you're describing them doing it doesn't it doesn't matter whether they are getting together as a a, a, a group of people who are literally creating spells with the the, the, the laws that they're writing or it's just a, a, a manipulative framework of laws that creates the the reality of the world we live in. It is. What do spells mean again in terms of what you're saying? Well, um, a spell would be any sort of um, uh, ritualistic practice that is meant to influence the outside world. Isn't that just like propaganda? Propaganda is. I see very much. You don't. You don't. I, even Ben, where you're saying it's um... that would be a form of a spell, but you've also got other things. I mean, the reason why spell and spelling have the same root word is because it's the same idea. What you're doing is you're trying to create something that has influence, right? And uh, exactly. And so, yeah, if if you're looking at uh, let's say uh, Pepe magic, right? There, there was supposedly some sort of meme magic going on with Donald Trump and Pepe the Frog that created a very hostile response from uh, people who oppose Donald Trump. And it's that idea of being, <clears throat> being able to manipulate people with just an image would be, would come back to this chaos magic idea. Well, when you're talking about laws, you're talking about a whole separate vernacular, a whole separate jargon that they use that's sort of a magical language called legalese, right? And you have to study this magical language for years and years and years so that you can be able to use that ability to influence other people using this magical language in the form of laws, right? Now, whether or not that uh, magical language has anything to do with the efficacy of a law 
or how well it's carried out is is irrelevant because all you're doing is is putting it out there as sort of a posturing move, right? If if you can make whatever laws you want to, but there's no guarantee of them actually doing what you know these people who have made them have intended them to do. It's uh it's more of a, a show. It's it's back to the pageantry. It's a social pageantry. And so you know, from those like through understanding the the process and how you know spells are created on on a uh, uh, a spiritual level, understanding how these people and why they're doing it, you can apply that directly to government entities and be like, huh. It's a one-to-one ratio here. Um, wasn't the state started by religious leaders in the first place? And well, you get passed down coming from God to begin with. So it kind of becomes really blurred as to you know the institutions we have today, whether or not those institutions were influenced in a magical way, you know, from the origins of these religions. I mean. Christianity was supposedly the basis of this country, but if you look at the origins of the uh, founding fathers, they're all Freemasons, and Freemasons are really huge into ritual magic. You know, you go back even further, you, you see all the kings and queens of Europe were all crowned by the uh, Pope, you know? And so you, you take it back all the way to the tribal level, where you've got the tribal chieftain who was anointed by the uh, medicine man, you know? All the way back through history, the state is always connected to this idea of magic and religion. And I think it's just a continuation of that today. Well, I per- I think that the that uh, what has been happening throughout the time, the spectrum of time that you were just talking about, there have been different ways that uh, we've figured out how to freak the brain i use the word freak like uh do you, did you guys know what uh, a freak box was for telephones yeah yeah we're kind of we, we we found ways to do that with our brain like the propaganda you look at some of the the social media manipulation there are different things that are in some way freaking our brains were there the the desired influence is is being it's it's turned upside down right the, the desired influence is being garnered by thr- uh, f- flooding our brains these days with information you were talking about that pepe the frog meme and some relation to donald trump and i didn't hear or know exactly what you were referencing but it did make me think of the lot a lot of the ways that simple things such as memes and 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 the social and, and 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 uh social media engineering is something that now can be harnessed to manipulate a population you look at if you can get them emotionally invoked in one direction or another that's all you need to care about is is statistic numbers of getting enough people upset in one direction or another i believe the state needs something as a precursor to coercion right and that precursor to coercion 
is more important than the coercive element itself. And I think the the magic and the pageantry of how the state constructs its own rituals is that precursor to coercion that must be examined before we can we can ever deal with getting rid of the co- coercion of the state. I don't know how, but you know something needs to happen along those lines because everybody's fooled by this thing. If you look at even just the physical framework of the the laws that are put in, they they have been created and the societal structure has grown in such a way to condition our brains and to prime us, as you've right. been describing, to be passive, accepting, right? Yeah, sometimes sometimes we've been primed to fight in specific directions, but pretty much the it's been to keep us passive and from changing too much. What's your take on it? A little towards the end of my uh, my mental energy. (laughs) Yeah, we've been up for quite a while. It's it's been a long day and I didn't sleep last night. I mean, I'm I mean, uh, just to take everything all in and encapsulate it, I would say that everything you just described is just historical mysticism that early humans did not have a way to describe the things around them and so they often used um you know, mysticisms in order to explain that which they didn't have the capacity to really rationally analyze and through those mythologies people um, told stories powerful stories to each other through generations over millennia and those stories evolved over time uh, to adapt to different people's increasing levels of scientific knowledge uh, and adapt accordingly and in that way there are certain secret societies as you mentioned like the freemasons things like that um, who were actually uh, rationalists who were probably some of the smarter men at their contemporary time. They traced themselves back to Solomon's Temple, uh, and they stood against actually the mysticism. But then later on, they were taken all over by the Illuminati in 1776. Um, the Bavarian Illuminati, you know, who's run by Adam Weishaupt, um, they started to infiltrate it, um, and they brought an extra level of mysticism to that. And so, when you're seeing these patterns of people relying on mysticisms in order to interpret the world. Uh, to me, I don't really see that so much as uh, spirituality, but more as um, people's, uh, you know, attempt to do their best to describe that which they do not know or understand. And so tying it into what you're saying specifically about um, people kind of, you know, uh, saying things or putting things out in a spiritual sense, I, mean, I wouldn't really call it spiritual just because, again, I, I, I kind of associate that with um, extra dimensional things and mysticism. I, I just see it more as, you know, the competition of ideas of people trying their best to convince others uh, that their worldview, that their mind is rational and get others to accept them or get them to accept their views. You know, it's, you know, that great debate of ideas. And, um, you know, to me, you know, the stuff that is non-falsifiable, no hypotheses, you know, things I can't prove or disprove, you know, I, I, I generally just relegate that to something that's interesting to talk about. But I, you know, I don't really see um, that as something I would validate my experiences on, you know, because, again, 
if I can't really, you know, demonstrate that or, or repeat that in a, in a way, it really isn't something that, uh, to me would be something that I could, you know, safely do or, or, or rely on. Um, so, you know, I just, I tend to not use spiritual language to describe anything. Uh, I, I just tend to focus on discrete human beings, actors and actions and the psychologies, you know, and, you know, incentives and human action. Well, I mean, I, I'm saying we're probably using a lot of the same uh, ideas, just using different uh, uh, verbiage to express them. I think, uh, like, for instance, the competition of ideas, it, a competition of ideas is best settled by some sort of objective standard. And when you have things like elections, which are a ritual to get as many people as possible to participate in and making a choice in one direction or the other, it's supposed to settle the the debate of ideas for that time. Does it really settle anything? <clears throat> I mean, it settles who's more popular and who's not, but it's it, it it hasn't really settled the ideas themselves. And when you're talking about moving forward as a country, as a constructed uh, uh, entity that needs to have this this form of settlement. You have to turn to rituals as sort of like the objective marker from one place to the next. And uh, I think a lot of people, you know, don't necessarily assume that's what's going on when you're trading uh, currency for objects. But in some sense, the trading currency is, is kind of a ritual that is based off of your own subjective values and the subjective values of the seller. And when you're when you're talking about in a larger scale, nothing nothing has changed in that regard. There's something that has happened, and then something has changed hands. In the case of the country, it would be power, but in the case of the uh, uh, transaction, it would be physical objects. And when you break it down to that level, you start to see that these transactions and liminal events they they occur in lots of other scenarios. Uh, church scenarios you look at uh how they open a service how they close a service all these other things they're transactional people are getting things out of them but you know to fully break down and understand all of the different transactions and how they affect people would be you know an impossible undertaking that's sort of like the the knowledge problem that mises talked about but you know all of these uh uh economic examples you know, time preference and all the rest of these things play a part in how uh, rituals are conducted on a, a wider scale. For instance, like, how would you uh, attend every debate to pound out who is right and who is wrong uh, in the realm of ideas when it comes to uh, who gets to lead? You can't do that. So instead, you go with a, uh, a, uh, a more objective standard, which would be a, you know, election. And once we read the election results, then sucks to be you, even if you're right. And, uh, you know, what I'm saying is if you could break it down to understand the transactional nature of how people uh, uh, transfer value, then you can, you can do the same thing for a uh, an entire country. And this is what, you know, the, the masters of manipulation have always tried to do create transactional events, create liminal events from which there's no going back from, because once a person believes a certain way, it's an initiation and 
they're hoping they keep that same initiation over the rest of their lives. It's there's once you've made your decision, there's no going back. Now, in reality, in the rest of our worlds, there is going back, and there are other ways of of determining and and coming to restitution. But in the political sphere, there's no backsies uh, unless the people at the top are really, really pissed off at the people you chose to to lead you. And uh, we kind of see that now. But we always assume that the people at the top have some sort of claim over whether or not the people who, the, you know, everybody chose had some sort of uh, uh, value or power to begin with. And, you know, breaking all of that down on a on a transactional level, it becomes clearer and clearer in my mind that uh, uh, something needs to change in us before we can change the system. All right, Gandhi. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I've never read any Gandhi. Neither have I, but it sounded really good to say in the moment. (laughs) But uh, Maybe I should read. But hey, uh, it was great having you. I agree with you there in the sense that obviously the first change right you want to change other people's minds for liberty right you got to work on yourself first you got to have self-knowledge you got to uh, be functional and um you know have good relationships it's really hard to do that if you're constantly having bad relationships with people and having financial struggles and um hurting or alienating people uh it can be tough so i 100 percent agree there work on yourself you know first steps yep Man, I think, uh, you know, the belief system, like we have to understand what we've been initiated into. And a lot of people don't. They don't know when those liminal events have happened because they're not attuned to uh, understand when something has changed in themselves, you know, until after it's too late. We see a lot of drug abuse problems in, in that realm, too. You know, taking the first hit, taking, you know, whatever after that point it becomes something that's routine it becomes something that's you know that needs to be fulfilled and being able to undo those initiations is some of the hardest work that people have to do in their own lives you know how do you become a better person if you're you know incapable of seeing when you started a uh down a path that you're now you know headlong into but we've gone on for a long time. Normally, we try to keep it down to 40 minutes. but uh, I think we've got great to, uh, five minutes of you farting to cut off at the beginning. Did I say that out? Yeah. I, I had a long fart that I wanted to cut off and, and put in the beginning, but I, I think uh, I'm probably not going to do that. Oh. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. Yeah, I'll have to splice it together and make it uh make it into an intro or something or an outro. You could, maybe. You could try to get a, a a good recording of a a good fart. Like you could like get. The- yeah, it's just not natural though. It's it's funnier if it if it's organic. Okay. Yeah, I I hear you. It's, it is funnier if it's organic. <laughs> All right, Jack. Yeah. It was nice having you. On. Thanks for uh, spending your time with us. Oh, of course. Thanks for having me on, you guys. Thanks for chatting, Jack. <clears throat> Definitely check out Volcom.com, right? Why not? Volcomic.com, Red Flag Reality, Philosopher, Honest Teacher, whatever you want to check out. Check it out. Have fun. There's a good chance you've already been right. reading my memes on a daily basis. So, Right. Meme magic. <laughs> All right, Jack. Thanks for coming on, Billy. Uh, I will talk to you guys next week.